You are now listening to the Soccer Football Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Soccer Football Podcast. We are, as our socials have announced, on a roll officially where we've hit we've hit top form come the end of uh, the end of january transfer window pumping out content left and right a lot of football to be played a lot of news breaking once again my trusted co-worker and colleague is alongside me sev what's going on guys reporting live from deep in massachusetts sitting under about 10 inches of snow not looking forward to having to clear off my property so that we can get moving tomorrow. Your your compound up there. I don't really love the word compound, but we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll roll with it. It's it's a humble abode. It's a it's a warm family home, very welcoming. Many guests at many hours. Wow, sounds sounds absolutely electric. I mean, there's nothing like having a thousand square feet and no driveway. Come as uh, in a snowstorm. Yeah. Uh, that that's that's my side of things. Yeah, but then like you you kind of walk out into the city and you're like, what did they do with all the snow? Like, how did they clear off the sidewalks? And it how, is weird. Like, where did it all go? Yeah, supposedly they dump like, it in the evaporate. ocean, but I don't even know. Yeah, they got to drive pretty far to get through the ocean around here. True. I imagine they just they just burn it on fire, something like that. As or, to or burning salt. something not on fire. Yeah. Well. Snow, it's it's crazy, right? It's like burning ice. How do you burn ice? They're polar opposites, but what a crazy world. Crazy world we live in. Big burn. Um, speaking of more crazy things happening in the world, deadline day just happened, just wrapped up in the Premier League. A few notable moves happened today, uh, mainly involving some Liverpool center backs and a few other pretty pretty sizable moves and involving some players that people would definitely know and have heard about. What are your thoughts come deadline day? I think that the theme of this deadline day is just loans, loans, loans. We know that the financial Mm. stress being put on the football world and the entertainment world in general as a result of the coronavirus pandemic halting some revenue streams, that means the teams just don't have the funds necessarily available or the it had to have been the least spent in a Jan- January window in a while. Yeah, nobody was really spending any money up front, kind of as is the movement right now, in, especially in the Premier League. And uh, when you look at kind of some collective bargaining agreements and things like that happening in other sports, it's prolonging some costs until those revenue streams can reappear and the coronavirus pandemic is a thing of the past. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot of loans to Mm. shore up some short-term issues and not overextend yourself in the long-term when there's so much uncertainty surrounding, again, like I said, revenue streams, particularly when you'll have fans back in the stadium. A lot of these big teams in the Premier League, teams that have been in the league now for an extended amount of time and have been comfortably finishing top 10 definitely do have more money than a lot of other sides. And that leads me to the first transfer that I wanted to discuss. Ozan Kabak has completed his loan move with an option to buy from Schalke to Liverpool, another center back they're bringing in for some reinforcements. 
I think he was linked over the summer with Liverpool. We mm. were being quoted around thirty-five million pounds to buy him outright. We've apparently been scouting him for some time. I know Schalke have had probably one of the worst seasons in recent memory from a team in the Bundesliga. They've had one win all season. Uh, and Kabak, this 20-year-old Turkish center back, has been playing a decent amount of games. Once again, only been a part of one win in, I think he's played 14 games uh, so far this season. Conceded over 40 goals. So hoping the form doesn't translate to... Liverpool when he does come in, but with Schalke's position in the table and how much they're struggling financially, that option to buy is now eighteen million pounds, all the way down from the initial thirty-five that we were quoted in the summer. I've been watching a lot of Schalke this year, or should I say FC Schalke Nofian, like the Germans oh. would say it. Yeah, I got that pronunciation. You sound like Jurgen Klopp. Because of the emergence of Matthew Hoppy, who's an American striker who's doing rather well there. So I've, I've had a chance to watch at least five or ten games live. And even last year, too, with Weston McKinney there, I had a vested interest in watching them. Obviously, a side that's struggling immensely. They had like a 36-game run without a win that was broken just a couple weeks ago. Ozan Kabak has been in the forefront of top defenders in the Bundesliga for a while now because... He did break out onto the scene as a 19-year-old and seeing a 19-year-old start in the center of a defense for a team, especially that was perennially one of the better teams in the Bundesliga is obviously noteworthy. I think Kabak, both the financial implications of Schalke struggling right now and the larger financial implications of that club, along with the fact that I I do think since his burst onto the scene, he has had a notable dip in form kind of coinciding with the form of the club that both of those things did lower the price tag. Kabak is one of the strongest people going into challenges that you'll see. He's an absolutely ferocious defender. And when he gets his hand on any sort of player with the ball, he's usually coming away with it. I think the thing he needs to really work on is his positioning and his discipline. He's can be a little bit rash and he can overextend himself. And I've seen him do that a number of times in games and he's also, yeah. uh, you know, in the mold of a moderate setter back, rather rather comfortable on the ball, decent passer. So a good be- deal of business for Liverpool. And I think probably I-, I called it a slam dunk to you offline for a team that was desperately in need of, of high-end center back play. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. It's obviously YouTube compilation season, and I do not often watch Schalke or the Bundesliga. So I was big YouTube compilation for this, and I did pick up on that. Very dive, dives into tackles a lot. Uh, I just am worried about him giving away some fouls. Also, moving to Liverpool is Ben Davies. Uh, he's from Preston North End for half a million pounds. Definitely a move that he would never have seen coming. Pretty Some pretty awesome content being put out. And a very unique scenario and situation that has brought him to Liverpool, but pretty pretty special, honestly. I feel like really good for the guy. He's never never would have expected to move to a team that just won the Premier League. And Matip being out for the season now, that also that news also broke today. Yeah, I wonder whether or not this move would have materialized had the Ozan Kabak move picked up momentum earlier. Uh, I think that. Maybe now because of Ben Davies' low price tag, they did sign two players where they really were only desperately in need of one. 
because I don't know how much of an upgrade, just not knowing Ben Davies and knowing the level that he came from, he offers over like a Nat Phillips or, yeah, no you know, idea. so it, it is it is a question there. But uh, like you said, a very cool move. He was reportedly going to Celtic on loan because they're also in need of a center back. And then when Liverpool swept in and decided to purchase him straight up, that was accepted by Preston North End. Cool, cool story yeah. for sure. Very cool story. Uh, also, some Arsenal news. Ainsley, Maitland, Niles moving to West Brom on loan. Your thoughts? Yeah, Maitland Niles moving to West Brom on loan, and, and I'll group in Joe Willick moving to Newcastle on loan, both for the, just the remainder of this season. Maitland Niles has been subject to a lot of transfer speculation. There was reported moves to Wolves last year. He is a player who a lot of people still see has a lot of, or still believe has a lot of potential. And interesting that he's leaving this Arsenal team that isn't really so deep at the outside back position, but. I think a move that the player was interested to make and a move that Arsenal was decently happy to oblige to materialize because it just gets him more exposure and more experience in the Premier League. And I think kind of the same deal for Joe Willick, but just seeing those players move, you know, somewhat rotational players from Arsenal to other Premier League clubs. I know from my perspective, it'll be more interesting to watch those Premier League teams. And I just wonder what their impact on the respective teams will be. So that's that's the best thing really you can hope for uh, when a player, a young player leaves your club is that they go to another Premier League side. You kind of get to see them uh, in a different environment and they can grow. And if they do super well, they can always come back to your club and make a real difference. I know Ainsley Maitland-Niles was linked with the move away over the summer and there were some there were weird rumors going along with him. So I uh, can definitely understand his move there. <clears throat> a move, Another move I wanted to talk about was uh, Jesse Lingard moving on loan to West Ham. Yeah. Yeah, we missed this one last week when we only talked about Aaron Long rumors, probably slacking a little bit on our side. Yeah. But it's just a interesting story. Everybody knows Jesse Lingard did somewhat burst onto the scene with Manchester United early in his career. Looked like he was kind of on the path to become a contributor for Manchester United, albeit not the Manchester United that was so dominant of the early 2000s. Still looked like a very promising player, scored that game winner in the FA Cup final. And then... You're talking about the uh, the young 24-year-old Jesse Lingard? Yeah, but still, um, you know, a a potential player, a potential player. I think a lot of people did see potential in him. He's played for England, I mean, yeah. And yeah, and even in England International at times. And then... His career has significantly taken a roadblock and became the subject of a lot of memes and kind of his career as a whole has been maybe one of the worst memed internet hated careers that there is. He was in desperate need of a move away from Manchester United, not getting any playing time and just not being in a spot where the spotlight is so bright that it can like mess with your mental if you're a young player oh he loves the spotlight man he loves he loves it yeah maybe you do but you don't like it the way that he had it shown on him the last couple of years i don't think yeah fair enough wrapping up joshua king to everton or fulham from bournemouth i think he's uh officially an everton loney now i do do not believe it's a full that new was confirmed yeah confirmed confirmed just before the 6 p.m deadline today just a former Premier League striker to add some depth behind Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Don't really think there's much mm-hmm. else to say there. Josh Maja also on loan to Fulham from 
Bordeaux. If anybody has seen the Sunderland Till I Die roller coaster on Netflix, he definitely was a leading light in that Sunderland team, was banging home the goals, and then unfortunately for Sunderland, decided to to find greener pastures in France. Now he's in the Yeah, Prime. it supposedly hasn't been working out in, in Bordeaux and Fulham likewise needing some more help up top some more firepower as they try to fight for to stay up in the premier league decided to make this loan option with the 10 million pound option to buy it's a decent bit of business they have like four or five just like average strikers now feel like they have so many strikers and they're all yeah not a lot of true strikers though like if ivan Cavallero's kind of more of a wide player they've been slotting him up top mitrovic surprisingly to I think everybody hasn't been getting the job done in the Premier League they also have you know Ruben Loftus-Cheek definitely not a goal getter Uh, Lookman has been exciting but not really he's more of a playmaker than a goal goal scorer so I think the move Mm -hmm. does make sense we'll see how prosperous it is he tore it up in League One but has hasn't done the same in sorry in English League One but hasn't done the same in French League One yeah just final two pieces here takumi minamino potentially going to loan on southampton uh to southampton from liverpool that news we haven't seen that come through yet whether or not they got that over the line but i would like to see him go to southampton on loan he is not getting any playtime for liverpool and then finally moises moises caisado am i saying yeah, that right caisado caisado something along Casado. those lines move into brighton 19 year old center midfielder what do we think about that i really like him he was a transfer target of manchester united as well as a lot of mls teams the 19 year old box to box maybe more defensive minded midfielder is seen as one of the brightest talents in south america he kind of tore it up at the world cup qualifiers in the in the fall and honestly i think it's a fantastic deal of business for brighton if they can manage to stay up and continue to keep this squad together that we've seen do some really nice stuff at, at times. It's it's a, another awesome piece of recruitment for them. I really like his profile. Yeah. I've seen him described as a mix of N'Golo Kante and Paul Pogba, an ode to kind of his ability to cover ground. High praise. Yeah, his ability to cover ground and also his playmaking ability. He's he's one of the you know top young talents in world football, quite frankly. And to get him for 5 million euros was quite... A, a swoop of business. I think it's an investment that maybe Brighton might not have the resources to make, who knows, but felt that they were getting too much value there to pass it up. Um, so exciting move. And I hope we do see him come, you know, before next season. I would love to see him play in a couple of these games down the stretch for Brighton as they try and stay up. Same. Yeah. Like you said, just main thing for them is staying in the, staying in the league, but there is something to be said when you're a team like that. If you play attractive football, if you don't play park the bus, and if you play slick football and you, you do have some possession, so the more skilled players can be seen with the ball, you you are going to get a lot more players interested in coming to your club so they can uh, shine on a bigger stage. Yeah, real quick. I kind of almost liken this to like a Sander Burge move last January mm-hmm. to Sheffield, yeah. except the value that they're getting at 5 million euro paid for him as opposed to the 25 paid for Sander Burge is yeah. it just shows you how good of a deal of business this really is if he's anything as good as Sander Berg could potentially be then yeah that is a that is a steal all right well we will be right back 
All right, we are back with the game week recap. Every single team in the Premier League was involved this weekend, and we kick off with Newcastle versus Everton. Pretty, uh, pretty solid performance from Newcastle here. Yeah, we we said it last week with their performance against Leeds that this is Newcastle. That if that wasn't the game that they were bound to win, given that at that point they had had a eight match winless streak, then. I, you know, you don't know what type of performance it would take for them to finally snap. What yeah. was a nine game losing streak was finally ended with a two nothing win over Everton. I don't know if it was them playing with their backs against the wall a little bit, given the skid or, you know, there's some other rumors about why they decided to come out and completely change their style, but they really did take the game to Everton. They, used a high press that we haven't really seen them use all season. We've seen them kind of play a compact style in which they break out and to play a little bit more expansive and to be the aggressors like they haven't been all season led for a fruitful afternoon for Callum Wilson, the striker, new striker to Newcastle United who showed promise earlier this year, scored one in the 73rd and another in the 93rd minute of extra time. The last of which was a beautiful counterattacking move that started with Alan St. Maximine pushed ahead to Jamal Lewis. He fired across to Callum Wilson and the, the goal was beautifully taken by Wilson. And I'm going to steal a point that I saw on the Totally Soccer Show. But a week ago, Newcastle appointed a former Luton Town manager, Graham Jones, to an assistant coaching position. And during this game, we saw a couple of clips shared of him on Twitter, standing in front of Steve Bruce, basically on the touchline, waving players in certain directions and they did this big interview with him and talking about his philosophy when he was brought into Newcastle and how he wanted to try and control games and just a well-respected hire within the Newcastle community and I'm you know I'm people are thinking maybe he's the heir to Steve Bruce but since he was since he was brought into the club they've had that performance against Leeds and now this performance against Everton in which they've completely changed their style of football so just an interesting tidbit Super interesting. I actually didn't know they had brought him in. But watching Newcastle the past two weeks, there's definitely been a visible switch in the way they operate and the way they play games. Because this game, you know, two months ago, when if Newcastle beat Everton 2-0, maybe you're just saying they smash and grab job on the counterattack, maybe some uh, set-piece goals. But they really stood toe-to-toe with Everton, I thought, and really gave them a, a solid game. And they do have the players for it. I mean, Alan St. Maximin is is phenomenal. Callum Wilson's proved himself at Bournemouth and now um, still firing them in for Newcastle. So they definitely do have the players to play this type of style. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it clearly wasn't working for them with the smash and grab style that they were playing up until this point. A nine-game winless streak. Yeah. And just happy for Newcastle, for the Magpies to finally have that broken. They were getting really dangerously close to the relegation zone, in my opinion, uh, and playing some of the worst football in the Premier League in these last two weeks have probably had led to some reassurance within the Newcastle community. Yeah, maybe I'm going to be a little sad to see less of Andy Carroll, but maybe a switch in fortunes for uh, for Newcastle. I will not be sad. That guy's a big <laughs> old motherfucker. He is. All right, well, uh, moving on to... There was actually two 1-0 games, which we think... There's not too much to discuss here. Manchester City continued their 
pretty electric run of form and they actually had a goal from a striker for once which is definitely a good sign for them. Gabriel Jesus scored in the ninth minute to give them a 1-0 victory over Sheffield. Yeah, just an in- incredibly comfortable game for Manchester City. Unlike the last two the last time these two teams played, Manchester City scored early and really didn't try and force the issue too much after that. Just continued to dominate the ball and just kind of saw this result Sheffield did give them a little bit more of a game last time, keeping them from the back of the net for quite a long time this time not the case and again just an easy kind of waltz to victory for manchester city yeah really really shown the the quality of ruben diaz and how the mentality of the city sides maybe changed just trusting their defense and not needing to go ahead and score five five goals to to try and win a game yeah right um, when i pick up john stones to be my center back on fpl dude, they decided to switch the back thing. to Enric laporte <laughs> did the same fucking thing it was so pissed Wolves versus Palace, Eberetsi Essay had a, a pretty phenomenal finish from the edge of the box. He uh, he beat a man on top of the box and fired low and hard, pretty close to Rui Patricio, who I thought maybe could have done a little bit better for that goal. But that was a one nothing win for Palace over Wolves. And Wolves, once again, just not, not taking the game to... Or taking the game enough to one of these mid-table sides who based on how we pictured them coming into the season probably should be and we were expecting them to to really be able to beat these sides and make a statement yeah i think it's safe to say that either wolves aren't a particularly good side this year or that the confidence is just so low that the season's kind of irredeemable this win for crystal palace did see them jump wolves they were even on points now ahead by three points in kind of that weird spot on the table between 11th and 7th and 14th or 15th where, you know, you're not particularly close to relegation, but you're also not really within striking distance of top 6, top 7. So it just becomes a, a little bit of a slodge or slog down down the stretch. And yeah, uh, it kind of had this game had that feel, I guess, is a long-winded way of saying that. It's like you're just playing to, to play and not not necessarily fighting for one thing or the other and just trying to make it to the end of the season intact. Pretty much. Now, game I've been waiting to talk to you about, West Brom Fulham. Your your man, Scott Parker, relegation battle. It's pretty pretty interesting game. Yeah, I actually thought it was one of the more exciting games of the weekend, given that there were four, four goals scored and the game holds some degree of relevance because of the relegation battle that is taking place. I mean, we're kind of seeing a little bit of a gap emerge between Fulham and Brighton, who is the next closest team to the relegation zone now at seven points. I'd really like for that gap to lessen a little bit so that we can have some excitement down the stretch in that part of the table. But more about this game specifically, I thought Mitrovic had one of his best games of the year. He was kind of doing that job that a all-around nine can do both you know picking the ball up in dangerous spots and driving at the defense but also turning when he gets the ball in between the back line and and the midfield and finding runners and he did that for Bobby Reed on Fulham's opening goal West Brom equalized early in the second half I don't know if there was some like change of heart with Big Sam at halftime because in the first half they were 
pretty horrible and were more of a big Sam coach team letting Fulham dominate the ball. And they came out of the second half and really went for it. And that meant that they went up 2-1 off of Matias Pereira goal in the middle of the second half. And then Fulham, luckily for them, were able to equalize late in the game. There was a really nice cross from Harrison Reed. I kind of thought he looked like Trent Alexander-Arnold in that moment, firing in a cross from a early, really wide position with a ton of whip on it. And mm-hmm. there was an, an Yvonne Caballero flying header for 2-2. And at that point in the game, it was kind of like the Fulham that you know is there, the Fulham that can play nice football, that has a bunch of competent pieces on the field who just only play that way one third of the time. And that kind of encapsulated this game pretty well. Yeah. The season for Fulham is turned around so quickly. And the more I see them, the more I really realize that there is a team there. West Brom, the more I see of them, even with big Sam, who's known for just turning around these teams and grinding out results and managing to stave off the drop. West Brom looked terrible in my eyes. I really think West Brom is, what happens when a team gets promoted off of a really nice season in the championship, but is too content with what their team was at that time where they went promoted. And it maybe creates this kind of false confidence in what you have. When you get to the PL, you need to make serious investment in your club to both you know change up your personnel to become a Premier League ready squad, but also inject some incitement into your club when you know the guys around them start seeing really top class players walk through the door and start training on the training pitch with some really you know top players. It just changes your mindset, I think. Yeah. So I think there was just way too much comfort with this West Brom team. Fulham, I think, did it the right way, and unfortunately, just are lacking consistency and that might come down to our man scott parker and his inability to motivate this team oh that's that's one of the first negative things i've heard you say about him that's my first scott parker criticism ever but seven points back of of staying up you know game in hand blame's gotta go somewhere that is key very true uh now a game that was very highly anticipated a game that i was quite excited to, to to watch Uh, Your beloved Arsenal taking on near top of the table Manchester United. What were your thoughts on the game, Luke? I was fairly disappointed on the whole. It was was not necessarily the worst nil-nil that I've ever seen. I thought it it was far from it personally, but... Yeah. The first half definitely was, I think, United taking the game a little bit more so to Arsenal than the other way around. And both teams kind of had their their stretches of play where they had some some decent opportunities. Bruno went super close uh, with one effort, but it was it was a game that I think was way more close in terms of the 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 talent on the field, or at least the way the talent on the field played than I was expecting. It seemed quite evenly matched for the most part, uh, maybe mm. with the United bossing possession a little bit more. But both teams just more so seemed more afraid to lose than than to try and outwardly win the game too much. Maybe that's that's too harsh. I just didn't. Uh, see a I team, think that's far too harsh. I didn't see. I didn't see a team really go for the neck. Uh yeah, I thought. I thought it was one of the most physical games I've watched all season. There was a lot of challenges that were gone into 100%. And it did 
that it, the level of intensity did make for I think a stalemate and I think the the talent on the field the level that they were playing at did make for a stalemate but I I definitely thought it was probably one of the more entertaining nil nil draw, draws that I've seen this season or in recent seasons I mean uh, you know aside from the inches away that Nicola Pepe was uh, on his two runs into into Manchester United territory or the Lacazette free kick that banged off the crossbar or the Edison Cavani sitters, quite frankly, sitters that yep. he missed. You know that those were the margins of this game. It definitely wasn't. Um, it, it, I, I, in my opinion, a, a game that sh- had a lot of timidness uh, among both teams. I, I think that the the stalemate really came as a result of uh, teams really straining and going for it, and maybe kind of over overreaching themselves and, and lacking composure in those hard. crucial minutes. Yeah, yeah. I think that that is fair enough. Not to say that I, don't, I wouldn't call the game timid. Um, I would have just liked to see, maybe not from Arsenal, just because of how the season has gone for them so far. But maybe from United, I, I would have expected to have seen a little bit more, go for the neck, really dominate the ball, and really try and 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 really try and break it down. Arsenal did play well enough for United to really not be able to do that. But I agree, it wasn't a terrible nil nil. It was. It was the result that I probably would have kind of been expecting going into the game, just knowing how both teams can set up, though. Yeah, it was, and, and you kind of nailed it at the beginning. They say basketball is a game of runs where one team will go on a 10 0 run only to be matched by another team picking up their play and going on an 8 0 run or whatever. I mm-hmm. really did feel like that was much of how this game was. It felt like there was sustained moments of pressure and chances for each team you know in in 15 minute increments or so and it did make for a really exciting evenly matched game and i think if you talk to a arsenal supporter they their reaction would be the result was fair though we maybe got the better of the chances and then if you talk to a manchester united fan they would have the exact same phrase the result was fair but i think we edged them just a bit on chances and i i think that's kind of like as at least as a casual that's kind of almost the 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 response you'd want to hear from to uh, opposing sides is that you know both teams thought that they played well enough to win but that they were you know okay with the result that played out on the field yeah it was one of those games to me as a neutral where i think i would have loved to see uh, an early an early goal from someone just to really break it out and make sure that both teams were were really trying to like go for it and and cause some some more some more action but that was uh manchester united nil arsenal nil and the final game on Saturday was Aston Villa taking on Southampton. Another 1-0 win this week. And Ross Barkley got the goal off a of Jack Grealish assist. Dynamic duo back at it again. We've talked a little bit about how fortunate Villa are to have Ross Barkley back in this crucial stretch of the season. And then, you know, they played the last two weeks and weren't able to get results, albeit, you know, against one Manchester City side last week, a little bit more of a disappointing result against Burnley. And I felt like I might be eating my words for singing these praises of Ross Barkley. And what does he do? He comes out this week and gets a goal for them and sees them that eventually sees them uh, take down a Southampton team who they were firmly battling against for position in the table. With that being said, there was a controversial moment in this game Right at the right at the death, Danny Ings did score, but the goal was ruled off via VAR, 
and it only led to more frustration over VAR because the margins on this call were about as fine as we've seen all season. Yeah, and we've been seeing the praises of Aston Villa for taking taking the game to nearly every single team they've come up against. They've really gone toe-to-toe with the so-called giants in the Premier League. I thought Southampton kind of just played Villa at their own game and really showed their quality too. Uh, really dominated the ball. Maybe didn't have as clear chances, but just was were creating a lot more than Villa. Yeah, it's a tough matchup for Villa in my opinion, and they're definitely happy to come away with this game from this game with the result. But obviously, Villa does tend to have to have a midfield that can play with most teams with you know uh, John McGinn with um, you know with Barkley with Grealish with Traore they do have a strong midfield but we talked about it a little bit last week Southampton's midfield likewise is just a bunch of guys who really step on the field to outwork you and I think that Southampton did win that midfield battle in a lot of respects but that's where that quality showed through for Villa with a Ross Barkley with a Jack Grealish with somebody with a little bit more polish and a little bit yeah do it myself and and so it was really just that moment of brilliance whereas I think Southampton on the on the bounce was kind of the more confrontational stronger midfield on the day but that was definitely where that game was won yeah I agree I agree with that statement um Moving on to Sunday and Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea taking on Sean Dykes, Dyche's Burnley. And for me, this game, I like if this is the way this Chelsea team is going to set out to play, it may not be, it may not be necessarily as, as electric as Frank's Chelsea team were on the counterattack, but it's way more set up for consistent success in my eyes. The way Chelsea were were playing and trying to break down Burnley, they had such dominance in this game, I thought, that, I mean, anything less than three points would have been absurd. And I don't know if you picked up on this, but I really thought with the wingbacks and with this three-at-the-back system that, that Tuchel has implemented, Chelsea love to just get down the field and then have these overlapping runs and then feed in the overlapper and then try and cross from, from deep by the byline. Definitely a kind of a similar system to, to Liverpool's play in terms of kind of controlling the ball against these, these lower table sides and then getting in these consistent crosses from, from good places on the pitch. Burnley had one shot the entire game, which is pretty absurd. That wasn't even on target. Uh, what were your thoughts on this game? Yeah, I think my my main takeaway from this game, and it might be, things might be a little bit more nuanced than this, but if we're going from a more kind of basic level, I think when you look at Tuchel as a manager versus Frank as a manager, Tuchel seems to go about his formation, his team selection, his his philosophy in a more, in a more managerial sense, kind of in a more, with a more attention to detail and a more focus on his principles of play whereas it seemed like Frank was much more of a former player and that he wanted players to kind of feel their way through the game how a player is ultimately supposed to and maybe not give enough structure um and I think we're seeing in this early day of Tuchel with these wingbacks playing players out of position but saying you know like like a Kyle Munson-Odoi I know you're a winger or a forward I know that's what you played your whole life but if you trust me this 
this wing back position might might suit you very well. You know, and it and it has to this degree. Callum Woodson and Adoy's played in a game like three this, very in a dangerous game like this games. for sure. Yeah, in a game like this for sure, when they have seventy percent of the ball and Burnley are just gonna play on the counterattack and not really look to have any of the ball themselves, Hudson Adoy can just put his heels on the on the chalk out wide sit out there, make these deep runs. So yeah, I, I do agree with that completely. And 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 another thing that I thought was of note was the goal scorers in this game. Uh Al scored the first and then Marcos Alonso scored the second. That's uh that's a score line out of 2017, not out of 2021. Yeah. Big throwback. Aspilicueta's run was like sixty yards full sprint out I think he was it Joe? Yeah, it was it was uh Hudson Adore who he basically out sprinted down down the sideline. Uh, and had a pretty phenomenal finish. Likewise, at Alonso. Yeah. And actually, I, I saw a tweet, and uh, the tweet was about Marcus Alonso, who's obviously had his uh, his uh, moments of controversy in the past. But skipping over that, and it was like whoever whoever made Marcus Alonso a left back robbed us of one of the greatest strikers of this generation. Yeah, I mean that first touch with his knee to, or I guess it was his second touch with his knee to settle the ball before the volley was. I mean that was, yeah, that was a striker's touch. That was no wasted movement in the box, setting yourself up for a perfect volley. So credit to yeah. Marcus Alonso, definitely a Seen player him. that I don't like on a personal level. But yeah, me neither. Uh, but shows moments of that at times. Absolutely. Yeah, he's he he t- takes free kicks for Chelsea sometimes and has scored a few bangers himself. Uh, I definitely agree with that tweet. He's he's special going forward, absolute liability going back. Uh, and personal Another side, thing of note. Ooh, sorry. Apart. Nope, nope, all you. Another note is that Mason Mount started and went 80 minutes in this game in yeah. uh, you know one of the forward midfielder positions. And was him and Jorginho were probably two of the better players on the day, him in particular. He was just kind of doing what Mason Mount has done for that team for the last two years. And um, too early to say, but maybe a sign of what we talked about last week where his his potential demise from Tuchel or from Frank to Tuchel was kind of, you know, overstated. Yeah, I, I do think it's it was overstated a little bit. Uh, and then, yeah, another, another point of note, Timo Werner continuing his struggles. He was kind of playing as a left forward in this game, but who knows? Maybe it will all come true at some point under Tuchel. Yeah, a little bit better, I thought, from from Werner when Pulisic came on and owned that spot, and he got to play more centrally. But it just leads to the question of who do you play up top because you do have Giroud, you do have Tammy, and now you do have Werner. Yep. Okay, so going into the last three games of the weekend, and... Leeds against Leicester. The Leicester who have really come to prominence in recent weeks and are or were just behind the leaders in the t- at the top of the table. Brendan Rodgers working miracles, but they always do seem to have a, a, a rough patch or at least slip up here and there to some teams they really should be beating. And Leeds, I thought, played this is the this uh, little throwback to early season Leeds. They played so well. Yeah, I, I am afraid that we're going to start to see that Leicester run of form that we saw around this time or maybe a little bit later in the season last year. I guess it was later in the season because of the resumption in June. But, you know, being in that top four solidly and then slipping because of their form as the season wears on, I'm afraid that this may be a precursor to that. I thought Leeds was 
more sure of what they wanted to do better on the bounce. Uh, that's not to say that Leicester didn't have their opportunities, but I really don't think that Leicester executed on any sort of level comparable with how Leeds executed what they do well. Yeah, and we're talking about teams that needed to maybe reinvigorate the squad a little bit. They've they've replaced Chilwell really well. I think James Justin has played super well. Castagna has played really well. They haven't really missed a beat necessarily at the back, but like every single every single year, Jamie Vardy is what thirty three now, and he goes down at least once a season for at for a week or two at minimum, and they're a completely different side without Jamie Vardy. He is yeah. the main goal threat. He's always been the main goal threat, and he's irreplaceable. But they just have nobody else either of stature of note to, to throw on besides him. Yeah, IOC Perez has not been doing the job that Jamie Vardy does so well year after year. And it's a really great point that you make about leaving that striker position unaddressed. You know, we saw a Wolves team who had an important striker go down. And then what do they do? They do secure a loan move for a a proven striker, semi-proven striker during this January transfer window leads, choosing not to address it, maybe planning on having Vardy back from that hernia issue sooner rather than later. But I think yeah. that that's a great point that you make. Especially, I mean, they do have Kalachi Hinacho on the bench, but he's obviously not being trusted enough to start over Iosi Perez, who's definitely not a true number nine himself. He's more of a second forward winger type player. So definitely something of, of note to keep an eye on if Jamie Vardy is out for a little bit of a time. But a team not struggling for a striker, Patrick Bamford, what a game. Yeah, he he scored the first, or sorry, scored the second, assisted the first and the third. Just a really awesome day. And his two-footedness, I think, is maybe one of the underrated qualities of any player in the Premier League because the goal that he did score was an absolute cracker from the yeah. left side on his weak foot in transition. I mean, a, a goal that just takes... Wait, no, he's left-footed. He is left-footed. Okay, so yeah. he scored with his left and his right this season. Yeah. Um, but that that particular strike was was just completely noteworthy. Uh, you know, dipping a, it over the rip. keeper from a tough angle. Yeah, definitely. He... Uh, Really proven his quality. Just a phenomenal player to lead the line. Yeah, and maybe potentially uh, Garrett Southgate's watching and saying, is he in the conversation? There's a lot of people in the conversation. Uh, still like Danny Ings, obviously Rashford, Harry Kane. There's a lot of Dominic. talent in that England. Do- Dominic, yep. A lot of talent in the England squad, but I do think he would be he'd be a nice little addition. Um, so moving on to West Ham versus Liverpool, and this to me really looked like a, a massive banana skin potentially for Liverpool after a great result against Tottenham, especially after the first half, which was so dull. Sadio Mane was out for this game, and it was Divac Origi playing alongside Salah and Jordan Shakiri up top, and Origi, once again, absolute shite. I don't get him out I think he's not good I I, I have, was not going I have well a in the slight quarrel with that all right go ahead dude 
I, I thought that Origi wasn't as bad as some of the slack that he was getting online. Is he a polished top level, top of the top of the table, number nine? Not even a little bit. But at times, did his movement and his size cause West Ham quite a bit of trouble? I thought so. I thought he missed a bunch of half chances, which is the reason for the frustration. But I don't think he was so bad in this game that he deserves to get like singled out and and you know no, I mean, get shit piled on him because I'm he not, really wasn't that bad. He wasn't terrible this game, but and I do know, I do know, Sadio Mane doesn't play. You can't have another Sadio Mane on the bench because he's one of the best players in the world. I understand squad depth and your bench not being as good as your starting eleven. We don't have anybody. Diego Jata was the first player we bought in to help out with this. He's obviously out injured currently, but I think it's very much time for Divac Origi to move on in the summer. But anyway, second half, do you manage to catch this game? Yeah, I did, yep. What did you uh what did you make about the the second half following the first? Um well, I think that Liverpool struggled to break down West Ham for the first 57 minutes and that's completely understandable. So many teams have run into that same fate against West Ham. We talked about Thomas Suchek, we talked about Declan Rice. Those two sitting in front of their center backs protecting their back line. It's just a really hard group to break down. And what it ultimately took was a moment of solid brilliance. It looked like a solid goal out of 2019, the way that he cut around two defenders, maybe even three defenders, and got off one of those curlers. I think he did win like goal of the season in 2019 or something like that. He off won the of goal that, Yeah, on the, yeah. the Puskas. Off a goal that looked pretty, somewhat similar to that, um, shaking people and hitting and keep get, you know keep pushing it onto his left foot and then hitting a curler like that but it was like i said it felt like 2019 sala the way he he made that run and finish yeah that was a moment of brilliance that we definitely needed to help break down this resolute west ham side and Uh, i actually ooh, if i may i actually think the second was even better oh because i'm a sucker for a team goal the second goal and i said it in our in our little offline group chat as soon as it went in i said omfg what a goal because West Ham had a corner. There's, you know, very dang- very dangerous West Ham side from set pieces. It's one nothing. We struggled so hard to get the goal. For West Ham, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? Like you have to yeah. put bodies in the box to go for that equalizer because that's how that's how they're gonna score a goal against yeah. Liverpool. In fact, the goal that they did score was off a corner and it ex- it left them exposed at the back. And I mean, Trent really was the one who kind of got that under underway a 70 yard crossfield ball from trent alexander arnold hits shakiri in stride and salah's streaking alone in the middle of the pitch being marshaled by the one player west ham did get back shakiri ran onto it first time hits the ball into salah and the first touch salah had it was i mean being lauded by the commentators i'm sure you've seen it online but rightly so one of the most difficult skill uh skills out there i've with his weaker foot skipping off a, a wet surface just instantly into his stride and then tucked home with the outside of his left book but uh, let left foot, foot sorry <laughs> yeah it was a beautiful beautiful three pass setup and and yeah and even i mean in a in a a proper finish to to finish a move like that um you know a striker's finish 
just really beautiful play by Liverpool. And mm-hmm. then they did tack on that third. Uh, Genie Wijnaldum gets a, a goal that he deserves for all of his fantastic play this year, playing so many minutes for Liverpool and just being an absolute machine for them. And then, like I mentioned, Craig Dawson got a consolation goal on a corner in the 85th minute. But Liverpool knocks fifth place West Ham down three points or picks up three points themselves. And uh, and it was a really good win for Liverpool there. Only bad thing coming out of this game is Joel Matip was replaced at halftime for, by Nat Phillips uh, with an injury. And Matip now subsequent, subsequently is out for the season. Three center backs, senior center backs at the team in the squad at the start of the season, all three out with season season ending injuries. Yeah. Pretty, pretty wild. Pretty outrageous. Not like Matt Tip had been around the squad much this season as it was, but it felt like every yeah. game he came back for, he then missed like seven more. Yeah. Um, definitely not somebody that you guys I think were counting on to be consistently in the squad the rest of the year. No, I agree with that. Final game of the weekend, Brighton versus Tottenham. And we were talking about Brighton's XG uh, in the last episode and maybe some of that XG wearing off. They beat a pretty diabolical Spurs side, I thought, for the most part. Uh, 1-0. Very, very well-deserved win on the whole. Tottenham really didn't do anything. Gareth Bale got the start for the injured Harry Kane. Yeah, I mean, in in Gareth Bale only getting, I believe, his second start of the season uh, in the Premier League, that is. He started some Europa League and League Cup games. Just did not look like he was capable of doing the job that Harry Kane has done so well this year. Didn't look interested in doing the job that Harry Kane did. Didn't look interested, didn't look physically capable, didn't look confident at all. I mean, he just, yeah, he's... He's a player who inspired a later segment for this podcast, and we'll we'll talk about that later on. But definitely an uh, uninspiring performance from him and Spurs on the whole. Um, I don't know if you want to kind of take us through some of the scoring or the scoring, the one scoring for Brighton. Yeah, it was just they actually had a run of chances around the goal. Uh, Brighton were I, the more dangerous side basically throughout this entire game they had so many good chances uh and it was leandro trossard who converted the pascal grob assist uh really really tidy finish into the bottom right hand corner past Lloris. um they could have scored probably three or four within the first 30 minutes i thought and tottenham have had a massive slide now from when we were talking way back when they went to anfield and were dispatched by by Liverpool that when they were top of the table they've really not had any type of consistency consistency any types of of good results they now set a whopping 11 points behind leaders Manchester City and I know I've been seeing online a lot of Tottenham fans really losing patience with Jose yeah I think one of my main gripes with Jose or or one of my gripes if I was a Tottenham supporter would be Spurs just don't have enough players who excel at linking up with their teammates and playing football like playing the actual game of football 
uh, with Kane out having done that job just so eloquently for them for the early early part of the season with Lo Celso injured with Dele not in in Jose's good graces it feels like Ndombele is really the only midfielder who can take a ball pass to a teammate get up field advance the ball keep the ball moving be dangerous around the box it just feels like they're he it, it feels like he's relying too much on kind of the the brutish confrontational nature of like a Hoiberg or an older Sissoko yeah. or a Doherty to try and do jobs that a more polished player could more yeah confidently and do one one of us said this but we when all the praise was being lauded on Son and Kane for basically having this incredible partnership and scoring and assisting each other there comes a point where no matter who you are everybody's human that can't be sustained for a season and now especially with Kane out but even before then Son and Kane that that partnership had had grown dry yeah and I thought Carlos Vinicius when he came in was a player who actually looked confident and tried to do things for Spurs he had one of their better attempts of of the game um, in his whatever it was, 45-minute run out after being subbed on for Davidson Sanchez. Unfortunately for him, he's played all of 69 Premier League minutes this year after coming in on loan and uh, with a a nice fat option to buy. And I just, it's one of those, it's another one of those kind of hard-headed Jose moments, it feels like, where he's choosing not to, Give somebody an opportunity who, you know, who I think was brought in to do a job that he's not having the opportunity to do. Um, We'll see if that continues in the future. Yes, we will. So that was our week 21, 20, pick whatever number you want at this point, roundup. And we will be right back with some new segments once again. Okay, we are back with... Another round of new segments. I hope you guys enjoyed the ones last week. Uh, Another kind of evergreen segment we have. And the first segment we have for you guys is coach-player bromances in tribute to the late Frank Lampard. Do you want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. My number one coach-player bromance is Jurgen Klopp and James Milner. I just feel like... Mm. James Milner was a player molded for Jurgen Klopp to love, just an absolute engine on the field. Maybe to some, he would be like, if he wasn't in the right system or with a a coach like Klopp, he would really be just another guy. But the way that his mentality and Klopp's mesh together, um, the way that he can play so many roles and be a Swiss Army knife and has the engine of a fucking F-150, like he's just perfectly cut out for Klopp and you you saw that moment that was shared a lot on Twitter this week yeah. of him being subbed off and you know him and him and Klopp are talking as he's walking off the touchline and then you know there's the roar from the people that were in the stadium turns around sees the Salah goal runs back to Klopp gives him a hug whispers something to him it just solidified that as the number one in in my yeah. rankings both, both so passionate and so driven both of them and Milner pissed off that he's substituted kind of says something to Klopp then Liverpool go score 20 seconds later Milner starts cracking up both him and Klopp are just dying laughing on the sidelines giving each other a hug like you said 
the the player i think if klopp could just have 11 james milners on the field he he would absolutely okay my first my number one is jose Mourinho and eric dyer very much very much cut from the same cloth as the klopp and james milner relationship i don't think there's many more players that are more jose than eric dyer this like just bald basic bald close shaven head massive defender who's very rugged loves to get stuck in loves the physical aspect of the game and he randomly speaks portuguese after his loan spell in portugal and I have to think that part of him picking Eric Dyer every weekend is just because he's his little Portuguese English mate. Yeah, that was my number two as well. Uh, or that was my number two, your number one. Mm-hmm. And it just, yeah, I mean, after that Our ones Amazon... Our switched. Okay, okay. After that Amazon series where he talks about wanting Dyer when he was, uh, when he was still <laughs> yeah. in Portugal and then yeah. just loving that he has him and just treating him like the top center back in the league and speaking, speaking Portuguese with him even now at Spurs. I mean, it is really just like a, it's a unique relationship between there, player and coach. There was like the little insight in the Amazon Prime thing with Spurs where Jose took him into the office and... They, I think they were started to speak in English, and then Eric or Jose asked them to speak in Portuguese, and Eric was just perfectly fluent, and they had the rest of their conversation in, in Portuguese. So Jose definitely just invites him in to just talk Portuguese for a little bit. Oh, a thousand percent. Uh, worthy, worthy bromance to compete with um, Mason Mount and Frank, in my opinion. Definitely so. All right, your number, like, well, two or three now. No, it's your number two. I just went. Oh, shit. You're right. You just went with one. Okay. Yeah. My number two. Okay. My number two is Nuno and every Portuguese player in world football. <laughs> yeah, that, that checks out. I mean, is there anything more to it? If you're Portuguese <laughs> and you show any level of talent, you're going to come into Wolves, walk right into the starting lineup and be Nuno's favorite player. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he. there are like collector's cards for him now. Just can't get enough. <laughs> Uh, yeah for real he's, all right that I, was my number two yeah at some point he's got to be the portuguese manager um okay my number two I got, I got a list of a few here but the rest of them are all in the same vein so my number two to switch it up a little bit is carlo ancelotti and luca dino because i think carlo ancelotti basically does anything in his power to fit luca dino into that starting 11 he just played left mid when they had another left back the past weekend he gave him the captaincy there's just something about this little french rottweiler who's who's kind of a scumbag that carlo ancelotti just absolutely loves he's got he's got the skill that carlo ancelotti's used to from his time with these big clubs but he's also just got this just fiery little attitude that definitely suits uh suits his style too yeah he's one of the holdovers from previous teams that you could just tell Ancelotti like took that job being like all right well I have a player like Luca Dina at left back who I can I can build on somebody like him like this is yeah. the found like that's one of the building blocks that I can start to make Everton you know a, a big big six competitor with and so I completely appreciate that and definitely I mean you call him the second best left back in in the league so, I mean, definitely has the skill level to compete yeah. with um, some of Enchilati's big players from his other coaching positions. For sure. You? Three? All right. 
Number three, I'm going with Mikel Arteta and Willian. Okay, yeah, I believe because it. Because no matter how bad Willian plays for <laughs> Arsenal, Arteta will continually give him opportunities. And I'm not even that big of a Willian hater. Like, I think he's had some really bad performances for Arsenal, absolutely. And I think Arteta maybe goes against his good sense and continuing to give him runouts. But everybody else online completely fucking despises it and just yeah. piles on Arteta for it. And... So, yeah, they must be, like, really good pals or something like that. Or maybe, like, Willian has Arteta's nudes or something that he can hold <laughs> against them because uh, he gets more run out and more chances than most players get in their whole career. That's what, that's what we used to say about Lovren or Adam Lallana at Liverpool. And, yeah, I see, I see the fury nearly every weekend um, online Twitter from the Arsenal Twitter accounts that Willian is still on the pitch. I mean, he, he subbed Good out job. Martinelli in this Manchester United game for Willian at halftime, not because Martinelli <laughs> was injured or anything, just because he thought that it was he was a better fit. So an interesting one for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, my third one, I'll tell you my honorable mentions too, but my third one is Sean Dyke, Dyche and <sighs> Ashley Barnes. Yeah, that's such a good one. Yeah. That's such There's a good one. never been a striker more more created in Sean Dyche's fashion than Ashley Barnes. You know, Ashley Barnes just absolutely adores him. You could really pick Sean Dyche and any player on that Burnley team, and it yeah. would be like a really good shout because Sean Dyche is, Tarkovsky, like we talked about last week, he, just a homie. Yeah. He, he is the homie, but I do think he has a special soft spot for Ashley Barnes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great one. Yeah. Honorable mentions for you. Uh, I had Dean Smith and Grealish. Uh, there's a reason mm-hmm. why Grealish continually signs extensions at Villa and is okay with them putting like a 130 million pound price tag on him. And I think yeah. he really likes his, his mates at the club. Like he loves John McGinn and stuff, but I think he really loves Dean Smith. And then there was that story this week where Grealish was getting into some uh, arguments with Southampton's technical staff. And Dean Smith just stood up for him. And I mean, Dean Smith has a reason to back Grealish in everything he does. He's the most talented player on his team by some degree. And But I also think that they just have like a really strong yeah. relationship. And then another one, and this is a new one, is Thomas Tuchel and Pulisic. They were absolutely buddy-buddy <laughs> at Borussia Dortmund. And uh, there was that shot debut, of them. Right? Come again? He gave him his debut. Gave him his debut. Continued to trust him as a 17-year-old playing for the second-best club in Germany. And then there was that video clip from their first game in charge where uh, where Pulisic told Tuchel that he was pronouncing somebody's name wrong. Uh, oh, he told me he was pronouncing uh, Azpilicueta wrong. And there was a <laughs> like big little laugh on the sideline. And, you know, you don't see that unless, unless a coach and a player were real close. Yeah, I respect that. Mine were very similar to the Sean Dyche and Ashley Barnes, that kind of avenue. Uh, Steve Bruce and Andy Carroll. Okay, I knew that one was know. coming. And then uh, Chris Wilder and David McGoldrick or Chris Basham. I couldn't decide. I was going to do Wilder and just, yeah, like Basham or John yeah. Egan because you know he just fucking loves those guys. Yeah, I mean, David McGoldrick too. Just like this battering ram of a striker who doesn't really have that much quality. He's like 33 and he just fucking adores him because he runs nonstop. Yep, yeah. 
Honestly, McGoldrick is one of my favorite players too. I think I would be. I think I would be. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, you got to respect him, and the guy just has so much heart. Yeah. All right, well, I hope you guys enjoyed that segment. Our final segment to finish the pot in is we're going to do a little half season. Now the January transfer window has come to a close. Biggest flops of this season. And would you like to kick this one off or shall how I? About you, how about you kick it off? I kicked off the last one. Okay. So my there was three real names, big names, that, that came to mind initially for me. But I want to choose one with a price tag because I feel like that really denotes a flop. So my number one has to be Kai Havertz. Mm-hmm. And... Coming in at 72 million pounds was the most expensive player bought this summer. And obviously still young and does have potential, can still grow. I've not seen anything from him. We were we were waiting on it. We talked about this at the beginning of the pod. You know, give him time. He's There's something there. He's adjusting. Nothing has shown me that he is the player that we thought he was coming in from Germany. And he doesn't seem confident. He doesn't seem willing to take on any responsibility when he plays and really prove himself and be the the leading light in this team. Been yes. very disappointed. Once again, your number one is my number two. Oh, and I I have it for all of the same reasons that you do, and I also share your sentiment that says this one could be the one that comes back to bite me in the ass the most because yeah. he is only 21 and who knows in a year or two, he could be the most important player on that Chelsea squad. You buy a 21 year old, you know that you don't just have them for their first half season of their age 21. You have them for, you know, presumably four, three years of worth of development for somebody like that. So plenty of time to make amends, but Definitely plenty of at time. this point in the season, price tag output, definitely. Yeah. And he's he switched managers, but either manager hasn't shown me anything. So yeah, my number one is, and I alluded to this earlier, Gareth Bale. Obviously, yep. it's a low risk loan for Tottenham. They're really only paying half of his salary or whatever. Still a but fat fucking salary. It is. It's a huge salary. But my reasoning is more like the shit storm that came when he was announced as a Tottenham player. You thought that. Bale, coming uh, home. Kane, Son, we're just going to be this dynamic trio competing with the league's best. He's coming home. He still has tons of quality. It's just that Zidane doesn't trust him. Yeah, it's Gareth Bale, man. It's Gareth Bale, man. He's got the pace and the power of freaking, yeah, to, to score and assist 30 goals this season. It's just like, yeah. I mean, we haven't even, he's, yeah, he's, he's essentially, I don't think it's too harsh. He's been pretty worthless for that for that he's time been, to this part. He he's done absolutely nothing. 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 Yeah. Uh there was there was times when he first started in the beginning of the season, he was on free kick duty, and I'm like, oh my god, bail from 30. He's on a free kick. Now, if he were to step up for a free kick, I'm like, all right, well, it's going way over the bar, straight into the wall. Yeah. Uh definitely a flop. Yeah. Just- that was that was my number two. Um, so I don't want to be overly harsh on, on Chelsea here because I don't want to just pick easy Chelsea players. 
Timo was up there, but I'm going to go with somebody else uh, purely to, to to switch up the vibe. Um, my number two is going to be Donny van der Beek. Mm-hmm. Uh, another player coming in for decent money. There was a lot of new noise around him. 40 million, whatever it was. Come in, balls through this midfield. Uh, midfield where a lot of United fans weren't happy with Fred. Uh, Pogba wasn't with a lot of rumors surrounding Pogba's future at the time. Uh, McTominay hadn't really had the best run of form. Somebody else has slotted in there, uh, maybe just behind Bruno, and to help take this team to the next level. Don't think it's necessarily his fault because he doesn't get a lot of minutes. Ale doesn't seem to want to play him that much, but that still reflects to me that he's not maybe a 40 million pound player. And I know he's had little glimpses here and there of a little bit of quality but i have not seen enough from him even in those cameos for me to believe he's anything too special yeah i definitely got consideration for me as well i think pogba finding form again and not being so detached from the squad as people feared he might become this point in his contract means that van de beek has less playing time absolutely but when you consider the fact that they spent 40 million euros on him and he's had such a little effect on the squad completely deserves consideration for this list yeah my number two sorry sorry. i just want to say price tag definitely being considered somewhat for me in this list too yeah so i took an interesting approach for my number two and i think it was price tag against the backdrop of what the team could afford and how much kind of they were putting on him. My number two oh, is Rion Brewster. Yeah, he, fuck. That was my number three. Yeah, Rion. I mean, when you're a Sheffield side who, you know, fighting to stay up, had a great season, knew they needed a striker, but really, really needed somebody to put the team on their back a little bit. And obviously, it was a big ask of a 20 year old kid who hadn't really played any senior football. So far, he's had zero goal contributions on the season, I do believe, and is playing for one of the worst Premier League sides in the history of the Premier League and just can't find his way onto the field, can't own any sort of responsibility for that side. No. Obviously a terrible situation, but $25 million down the tube. Yeah, that was my one real piece of like saving grace for him is it is probably the worst situation you could be in being a 20-year-old striker playing for a team like Sheffield, the way they play and just the way they played and the results they've had so far this season. But I agree, it, definitely. And it's nothing lot. against him. Like, if anything, Sheffield deserves the real gripe from us in this in this worst transfers list. But the reality you, is Sheffield. he's just, yeah, he's just not, he's just not putting up. Okay, well, I don't want to pick Timo. Because uh, I already just mentioned him. Um, I'll pick another loanee signing or on the lines of a loanee signing who came in on a free. And there was definitely some buzz around it. Switching from the blue of London to the red of London, Willian. And you just talked about him being Mikel's little pet. And yeah, the amount of hate I see on for him on Twitter from Arsenal fans is probably the most hate I've seen from for a player for a while, honestly. Yeah, I think that maybe is a little bit too much. There's a lot of players that get a lot of hate from annoying fans online, but it yeah, his season has been 
hugely disappointing. Zero goal contributions and basically 20 runouts and or sorry, three, he had three, but they were his first three, his first game. So zero <laughs> yeah. goal contributions in 20 since that game. And yeah, just yeah, not what you want from your you know right winger creative forward who is on I don't know two hundred thousand a week whatever it is something around there maybe not quite two hundred thousand but yeah well that's that's the list any uh notable uh I haven't given you my third yet you haven't all right go ahead sorry I have two for this spot I'm gonna go with Tellez to Manchester okay, United. Uh, yeah, I guess. Because we gave so much shit to Luke Shaw being the weak part on that team at left back earlier in the year. And I really liked what Alex, Alex Tellis has as a skill set. He's pretty rapid, super technical, like really exciting playmaker from that left back spot and hasn't shown really any of that this year in the same kind of deal with Donny van de Beek, almost no time at all. So he's probably realistically like fifth or sixth for me, but because of the overlaps, he'll, he'll slide into my third spot. My only, I, uh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I do think that he, like, I don't think he played badly when he came in. Luke Shaw's just had such an incredible kind of resurgence. Exactly. He's been playing so well. So it's hard to, for me to put Tellez in the list, but I, I can understand why you have. And then my last one would be Matt Doherty because he's been very shit, very shit for Tottenham to the point where Serge Aurier plays right back for them most games. And yeah, yeah, not much more needs to be said. Jose definitely hates Serge Aurier, just has no no one else to put out there. Okay, I can understand that. My my notable absentees were uh, Timo Brewster that you took uh, and then... I did have, I did have Nathan Ake and Thomas Partey, but I think those are both due to them not really being able to play. Partey due to injury, uh, and so on. But Ake just not being played by Pep because they have five other fifty pound, fifty million pound players there. Yeah, Partey is pretty harsh. He he. Has played four games because he's been injured the whole time. <laughs> yeah, which is I, which is why I didn't say him, but but you yeah, did say was, him. There was a lot. There was a lot of noise when he signed, and I, I he he's been exceptional the games three. that he's played. He just he's, yeah, only he's played, played four well. Games. I'm just saying he's only yeah, he's only played four games. I'm sorry, like get stop being hurt, dude. All right, yeah, dude, Jota for all that hype, he hasn't done much recently. Uh, what have you done for me recently? But he still won us like five games. Yeah, but got I like mean, five goals. Yeah, if you're only getting have five goals and you're a forty million pound transfer, it's not very good. All right, Willian. I accepted Willian. I just said Partey was harsh. I'm saying Partey was harsh, but anyway, whatever, man. All right, well, I think that just about wraps it up. Yeah, you know what? Fuck this whole thing. Into- <laughs> this is the last one you're gonna hear. <laughs> yeah, before before you get too deep, arguing about Thomas Partey and and Diego Jota. Uh, that basically wraps it up for game week, what, 21? Whatever it's 21. being called now. Um, yeah, please, once again, let us know in the comments or in the DMs if you want to see anything else. Sev, do you, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to do this. Like, subscribe, rate, all that stuff. Follow us on our socials. Subscribe. We never do this type of self-promotion. We need to start doing it. 
yeah, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe. Get the subscribes way up. Yep. You know, well, that first week we dropped, we were all the way up to like top 50 soccer podcasts in the United States. I don't even think we're top thousand now. So let's get those listens, those subscribes, those likes way up. It was the initial shock. So share it with your friends, anybody uh, that you know would like the podcast. I mean, get it out there. Be a little social marketeer for us. Come on, do it. I know you want to. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Once again, take care. We'll see you next week. Sev, final thoughts? Peace out. Love you guys.